Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Whew, hello. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are, and thank you for joining us. We've got, whew, we got a show. This is a lot going on. Uh, we're so thrilled uh, that uh, Carmen Nervarja Cohen is going to join us today. I want to talk to her about this new position that we are uh, all voting for in the city of Chicago. Every single police district uh, is going to have a police board. So three people will be elected from each police district. For example, I live in the 16th police district, and uh, I believe there's at least seven or eight candidates running, and we can vote for up to three. Uh, other communities have uh, a wide range of people running for with different points of view when it comes to how we should be interacting with a police department. In my community, it tends to be a, a lot of folks who uh, either have law enforcement background themselves or have uh, family members, close family members that are on the police department. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes down in this community. And I want to talk to Carmen about that a little bit. Of course, we'll check in with our good friend, Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. He publishes that uh, every week and you can sign up for his, uh, he actually, and when stories arise or things strike him, he's got some great stories and point of view, not only at his, on his own uh, publication, Recombobulation area, but also with uh, Heartland Signal. So you can find uh, his work on our website as well, heartlandsignal.com. And then we'll We'll also be talking to Colleen McGrath and Jeff Infusino. I better clear that. I better clean that up. Clean that up and post, and, and don't let them hear me mess that up. Uh, Jeff and uh, Colleen will be talking to us about Camp One Step, and uh, excited to talk about that. We also are going to have our friends from Beguile and, and uh, from Bottles and Cans. They have a ten-year anniversary that they want to tell you about. They're celebrating, so that's uh, what we're going to be t- t- talking about uh, throughout the show, and as well as whatever is on your mind. I know there's a lot going on. Uh, man, I, I feel like uh, it's been, is there, has there been like a quiet time for news? I mean, there's more coming out. This, the Georgia grand jury is concerned that that's, some of the witnesses were lying in their testimony regarding January 6th and these false claims of uh, a fraudulent election. Really? There were witnesses from uh, Trump's camp that seemed like they might have been lying? That, oh, really, I got to work on my shocked face. I don't, I can't do it. Uh, oh, and uh, that's the sound of my shocked face. It's, I don't know if that's helpful, but if you're watching on the live stream, let me know how I did. Oh, I know what it is. It's got to be, I think the best I can do is Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. So I've got to do it like I just put, I just shaved and put aftershave on and I saw, oh, like that. Oh, heavens to Betsy. There's a li- there's lion. <laughs> I don't know why I went into Scarlett O'Hare. That was weird. Um, so that's uh, the Georgia Grand Jury. Apparently, some of their uh, some of their findings will be released tomorrow. Uh, a lot of there's so many stories. Uh, just what's on your mind? Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. Of course, we have uh, uh, informa- more information coming out of Ohio in this train wreck that spilled uh, toxic materials in a community. Residents were told to evacuate, and then they were told to come back. And a lot of folks were like, "I don't think so," and they're like, "No, no, no, it's fine." And then when some People went back. They go, oh, no, no, by the way, don't drink the water. <laughs> okay, great. And then uh, the Ohio governor did say that they uh, burned off some of the 
chemicals. I don't know what's happening. I mean, what? So that's a, that story. Uh, and the kids in Michigan, you guys, uh, who are protesting outside the state capitol, who, some of whom, uh, we talked about this yesterday, survive, have now survived two active shooting situations, some of them losing people right in front of them. One woman who was at Sandy Hook, another kid that was at Parkland, and another right in the state of, of Michigan at Oxford, right? So these are all kids uh, who uh, have now survived this twice, and one woman spoke about she was at the podium. They uh, they were speaking. The pro, there were kids protesting outside the state capitol, demanding more movement on gun legislation. And she said, you know, I feel safer here than I do at school because there are important people here. And I know they have security. So she feels more safe standing outside the state capitol than she does in her own dorm room, in her own classrooms. Uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about. We're not safe in grocery stores or going to parades or going to the synagogue or going to the movies. This is it's it's a lot. And so uh, but what are your thoughts? What have you uh, what are some of the stories that are uh, catching your attention today? Um, I, uh, I that one really caught my um Got, got my attention was this, the the kids who uh, I mean should that's the thing it feels like that story has already been moved out of the news cycle that's how used to gun violence we are and again yes there is gun violence in Chicago in communities and the people are like oh why don't you say anything about the gun violence in Chicago okay yeah absolutely and we do talk about that and why can't we address the causes of that poverty and lack of access to public transportation and and community projects and programs, mental health support. See, yeah, let's talk about that. All those things. Uh, but we aren't allowed to talk about how uh, how prolific guns are in this country. Anyway, uh, I also want... Oh, I... Uh, uh, there's so many stories going on right now that it's it's hard to grab onto one and what you know I mentioned this yesterday too the ongoing attacks from conservatives and how President Biden has handled the uh, the spy balloon from China and these other f- flying objects uh, conservatives calling him weak and I've I, I really it is startling to know that we have people in elected office who want to scream at leadership. Uh, about being weak and not being tough enough and that we're in danger. I mean, I really do not think that when, if and when something catastrophic happens, that Republicans will be able to put that all aside and be united the way we were uh, we were trying to be after 9-11. Uh, I, don't, I just don't see that this party has the ability to put anything aside. I did find it fascinating that in Nikki Haley's announcement uh, in her campaign for the presidency that she pointed out that Republicans are have lost the majority of the, what was it, seven out of the eight election, the popular vote. They've lost the popular vote. And I thought it was interesting that she pointed that because we point we certainly point that out uh, all the time. They don't have the majority of the country on their side. And yet, because of the way the system is set up, uh, the Electoral College. And, and it's interesting because they are the first ones to want to call attention to flaws in our, our government or programs so that you don't have faith in them. I thought it was another always a great conversation that Joan has uh, with the when we, they talk about the media, the responsibility of the media, the impact of the media and how th- questioning journalism 
making us suspicious, trying to make us suspicious, casting casting aspersions is part of the plan. That's part of their politics. But I did think Steve, was it Steve from the Gold Coast who called and said that uh, we've won the war on the culture wars, that, that it is more Americans do believe in having access to uh, to reproductive rights. I don't know if he mentioned that one, but certainly talking about, uh, c- you know, cultural history, talking about uh, LGBTQ plus rights and that we have the things that we'd fight for uh, middle, the middle class, the protection of and the growth of wages, not just living wages, but thriving wages, uh, access to health care. Those are the things that we fight for. And again, but to the same thing is that Republicans see all those things as taking things away from somebody else. As if we if we strengthen those programs, if we create uh, a, a stronger middle class, that that they because people see themselves as having the ability to become millionaires and billionaires. And it's not that you can't. It's just that it's not. If we are all thriving. Uh, we're less likely to be pointing the fingers at somebody else taking something from us or doing better than us. It's it's uh, it, it is what we, it is why so many people vote against their own self interest because they're whipped into this frenzy about uh, about gay people, about people of color, about women who want the full access to healthcare uh, services, you know, including abortion. It is. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault that something's going wrong in your life, or that uh, they're coming for something that is yours, rather than let's work together to find a way to uh, to uh, build a stronger country for everyone instead of this us and them. I don't know. Do Republicans not feel like President Biden is their president? Because when President uh, Trump was in office. He definitely talked to us as though if you're a Democrat, you have no place in this room. And I don't know. I mean, I know that in the rooms where he's he's being heckled, President Biden certainly isn't going to uh, uh, try to appease them and and address them like the children that they are. But I don't I, I, I since I'm not a conservative, I can't tell you I can't say whether or not it feels as though President Biden is only a president for Democrats in the same way Trump was only a president for conservatives. Hey, Dave, what do you want to say? Yeah, that's. And I, I kind of beg to differ with that one lady you were talking about said that she's hanging around the 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 politicians over there because she felt safer there. Now, was that lady from Michigan? She said she felt safer. I mean, as, as a child, who was, uh, she survived two active shooting situations where people were killed. She was from Michigan. Yes. The lady was from Michigan? Yeah. I mean, she's a girl. She's a te- she's a, a college student who has survived a couple of shootings and says that just because there are armed guards there. Right. There aren't armed guards in a classroom. And she's I'm saying she's outside. She feels safer there with other students. And she just feels like she's less likely. That That's just her emotion and speaking. I mean, I, you can yeah. I don't know what there is to disagree with, except go, oh, that's interesting that she feels that way. No, I just, uh, has she forgotten the fact about three years ago, four years ago, all that Michigan militia guys were in the state capitol with the weapons? Right, but they didn't get to the, her point being that people don't get to the politicians, right? There haven't, there hasn't been a shooting, aside from the capitol, right, the people crashing the gates of the capitol and busting through the doors and destroying property, right? Ashley Babbitt was one that got shot there. When was the last time there was an active shooter at a capitol in this country? Well, I don't know about it in the Capitol, but I do remember you got that uh, that guy from uh, Louisiana that got shot on the baseball field. <laughs> well, I'm saying is she feels safer at the Capitol. There has we we know that there are shootings. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 
It's yeah, cool. I, okay. But my yeah. point was I didn't know what she's talking about because they were in the Lansing. There isn't anything for her to know. She does know what she's talking about because she's been in active shooter situations, Dave. And that's how she feels. It's not a matter of what. She does know what she's talking about, Dave. Okay. Fine, got, fine. Get, I guess let's agree you, to disagree. You, you're trying to get me riled, Dave? <laughs> it's not I'm a disagree. She survived to shoot. Oh, Dave. <laughs> Anyway, she gets to feel that way. There's not a thing to disagree. She's telling you, you don't oh. have to, she's telling you how she feels. She's not hiding under and a I'm desk in her dorm room. She's what I remember seeing. What? This is, okay. this is a teenage girl who's saying that's how she feels. Okay. <laughs> okay. I gotta go. Right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get on the, the Dan Shaver. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Okay. Talk to you later. What? All right. Let me take a break here. Seven seven three. Oh, we, we, we thought the Dan Schaefer. If you have a question about what's going on in Wisconsin, uh, give me a call. Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight is the number to call. And uh, let's uh, take a break here. We'll come right back. Tonight on Democracy Now! As the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine approaches, we look at one of the great mysteries of the past year. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline connecting Russia to Germany? Then we go to Michigan, where vigils were held Tuesday night to remember the three Michigan State University students killed in yet another mass shooting. All those stories and more tonight at 11 on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Basket on WCPT 820. Every week we try to catch up with Dan Schaefer, the uh, publisher of Recombobulation Area and a contributor to Heartland Signal. And he's, we, I, I always want to check in with him because there's, it's really important that we pay attention to what's going on in Wisconsin politics, in particular with this the Supreme Court race that's going on right now. How, how much time do we have left, Dave? Dan, sorry. Hi, Dan. Hi, Patty. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> Hi. I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. It's a lot going on. So what? What? Yeah. How much time do we have left for this this primary for the Supreme Court? Uh, the primary is now less than a week away. <sighs> so we uh, busy times here in Wisconsin, as always. Um, you know, there's n- never any shortage of political headlines in the, uh, in Wisconsin. The most uh, the most closely contested fifty fifty swing state in the country, but we have this massively important uh, state Supreme Court race that will be on the ballot next week, uh, Tuesday in Wisconsin, across the state. And how anything, uh, any like, you know, any surprises popping up, any negative mailers or finding any skeletons in closets? I I don't know if that's uh, the way they're going in this race. Yeah, there's been a little bit of that. And and there's been certainly more of that type of thing happening uh, among the two conservative candidates than there has been on the two liberal candidates. Uh, uh, it, the one liberal candidate in particular, uh, Milwaukee County Judge Janet Perosiewicz, uh, is kind of lapping the field right now when it comes to fundraising. Uh, she's gotten a, the, the Democrats are really um, trying to nationalize the attention for this race and get a lot of uh, build up that war chest. So the the, the amount of uh, funding coming into the state parties uh, that will be um, backing these races, there's a huge advantage uh, reported today for Wisconsin Democrats. Wisconsin Democrats raised 
three and a half million in the first five weeks of the year, and the Wisconsin Republicans raised about fifty six thousand. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Yikes! A little bit uh, of a difference for the two state parties right now, uh, and so I think that they will both kind of be ramping up their efforts after the primary. Uh, you know, I don't think either of the state parties is endorsing individual candidates before the primary. But once we have, you know, one liberal candidate, one conservative candidate, I think the floodgates will really open on that spending, uh, not only through the state parties, but but nationally as well. I think this race is going to get a lot of attention. It's been covered in The New York Times and Politico and The Guardian. And so it's, it's starting to really get um, a, a whole lot of attention going forward. And then I think uh, you look over to uh, to the conservative side of the fence, uh, there's been a lot more infighting, a lot more back and forth uh, between the two candidates. Uh, you have former state Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly, who was appointed by Scott Walker, and you have um, uh, Waukesha County Judge Jennifer Doro, who kind of gained her notoriety last fall as the judge in the case for the uh, for Daryl Brooks, who was accused uh, of the uh, massacre at the um, Waukesha Christmas Parade uh, last year. Um, and so, uh, you know, Daniel Kelly, the, the Walker back, uh, the, who was appointed by Walker, uh, he, you know, a lot of people when Doro joined the race were saying that Daniel Kelly should drop out, should back her. She has this uh, attention that she's gained through this trial. He's done the opposite, and he's really uh, campaigned pretty aggressively against Doro. Uh, and has a number of his supporters questioning her fitness for office, questioning if she's a true conservative. Oh, dear. Uh, that you had one, somebody else calling an opinion that she wrote unlawful. Uh, and so there's, there's there, and she, you know, really has not come out and responded in a very, you know, in a strong way to this at all. And it seems like, uh, you know, the more, uh, the more she campaigns, the more questions that there are uh, about her candidacy. So, the, you know, I, I came into this thinking that it would be, uh, you know, the liberal candidate, Janet Protasiewicz, and the conservative candidate, Jennifer Doro. I think there's a chance that Daniel Kelly uh, will uh, will make, uh, you know, he's certainly making some noise before the end of this primary, that's for sure. I wonder, you know, there's there are also these political strategists who make calculations based on gender or name and things like that, uh, how a name sounds and things. You know, I wonder how much, uh, if, if, cons- if conservatives are considering the fact that having a man and a woman on the uh, running against a woman on the ballot would be, uh, bring out more women and vote for women uh, when we are still reeling uh, from Roe v. Wade. And of course, abortion on the table uh, as you know, you're poised to revert back to pre-Civil War uh, statutes, right? I wonder if there's any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the, the abortion rights issue is going to be such a big one uh, in this state. And that's where I think you're going to get a lot of national money coming in on both sides. Uh, for this issue. But I think, you know, we just saw in uh, among four Republicans as well, if you think back to last year, uh, they had their gubernatorial primary and Tim Michaels ended up beating Rebecca Clayfish. Right. Uh, And Clayfish was seen as, you know, going into the race, uh, the heavy favorite to be to be the candidate to challenge Tony Evers. Um, You know, it, it seems like that uh, Republican voters don't seem to want to vote for women. And I think this year in particular, uh, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing some of these attacks coming within conservatives at Jennifer Doro saying she's unqualified 
which I think are off base and I think are unfair for, for a lot of, you know, Daniel Kelly was, was never even a sitting judge before Scott Walker appointed him in 2016. Jan- Jennifer Dora has been a judge in Waukesha for more than a decade. Uh, so, you know, to call to question her qualifications, especially considering the source, seems really off base. And then I think, you know, when you're thinking about, uh, you know, women's rights issues going into this election, it's going to be such a it's going to be so, so, so important. Um, and I think, you know, that is kind of where a lot of the, the shifts in uh, political dynamics in, in the state have, have happened in recent years as well. And I think particularly in suburban areas, uh, women have been voting much more for Democrats than they did in the past. I was doing some research on, uh, on some, some other local races recently in some of those suburban districts that, you know, maybe went for Scott Walker in 2010 or 2012. Uh, we're going for Tony Evers last year. Um, so I think, you know, and, and that I think is, has in, in a, to a large degree been driven uh, by women uh, in the voting in the suburbs. That that makes sense. And I wonder how much of that will grow. I mean, we we often talk, I, I, I think they were talking in the last hour in the last show about one of the, the moments during Trump's uh, campaign when he first ran for president that was such a, a glaring moment where you think, well, for sure, certainly women won't vote for a guy who says you can just grab women by their parts, right? And that didn't turn out to be the case. You know, more, at least amongst white women, they voted more for Trump than they did for Hillary Clinton, which was interesting. Uh, and I wonder how much has been impacted in the last uh, six years uh, by various things that have happened and developed. But it, it is it's still so hard for me to, to think of uh, people just going into the ballot, you know, into the booth and going, I'm not going to I'm not going to vote for this broad or for this woman, this chick. You know what I mean? Like it's and I know I'm naive that way. But when you say it like Republicans don't want, want to vote for women, I'm like, oh, yeah, they are still like that, aren't they? Well, they keep, they keep uh, you know, there's very qualified women who have run, been running in Republican primaries and losing in yeah. Wisconsin. So that, I think it tells you something, right? Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree. And I think the, the Jennifer Dora case, you know, right now it's going to be it's going to be the latest test case of, you know, kind of where Republicans are going to be there. It'd be interesting to see. Are you do you watch uh, the budget addresses live? Because I just watched uh, Governor Pritzker's earlier today. You guys have yours coming up. Are you going to be watching this? I, I'm, I'm going to be. You know, they they schedule it right around uh, right around you know the kids' bedtime. So that's going to be. I'll, I'll be in and out watching it live. Maybe I'll maybe I'll save it and binge it later. Uh, you know, so you can focus, stay focused on on, uh, right. on what he has to say. Right. Uh, I'm, I can really get into it. Really get into those uh, the, the 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 big uh, highlight moments from from Tony Evers' uh, budget address. <laughs> how does it? So I know how I have a pretty fair handle on how it goes down in Illinois. We have a super majority in all the chambers I and mean, Democrats have the Senate, the House and the, the gubernatorial seat, as well as the executive offices, because you have a surplus. And I, I see some of the things that, that Governor Evers wants to, to spend money on, including a billion dollars. And thankfully, on special ed, which I think is remarkable, that's up from what they were going to spend, was, which was seven fifty. Um, how does that work in regards to working with the, the legislature? How has that gone in past years since, since you have a Republican uh, controlled legislature? Yeah, it's it's a different it's a different dynamic with divided government yeah. for sure. Um, 
you know, so, you know, in years past, when Scott Walker was governor, he would just he would give his budget address and the Republicans would take up his budget and they would just go ahead and pass most of it. Right now, obviously, that's not the case, especially not only do we have a Republican controlled legislature, we have a Republican controlled legislature that has been particularly hostile to the Democratic governor that we've had here for the past uh, four plus years. Um, So in the last we have two year budget cycles in Wisconsin and in both of those budget cycles that Tony Evers has proposed, he's gone out there, he's proposed his budget. It's a good budget. The Republicans will just throw the whole thing in the trash. Uh, and so, and they will start fresh and write their own budget. Um, you know, the governor in Wisconsin has has pretty strong line item veto powers when it comes to the budget. Uh, so, even if a Republican passed budget gets through, you have that fail safe uh, of Tony Evers being able to, you know, kind of veto certain things uh, out of the budget, which he's done to some success in recent years. But he has ultimately signed. Uh, to Republican Republican budgets, and, and the first one, uh, you know, trying to trying to find some bipartisanship. The second one was kind of in the pandemic uh, pan- pandemic era where we needed to have, pass a budget to be able to accept a lot of the COVID relief dollars uh, coming from the federal government. Uh, so now that he has been reelected, now that he has, you know, he's he's two term Tony now. He's uh, he's going into his his second term. I think there's a little bit of a chance. Uh, where he might be have an opportunity to play a little bit more hardball uh, when it comes to that Republican budget. So he he will present his options tonight. Uh, you know, it will it will likely uh, end up in, in the trash from the Republicans. But I think it, it, it at least signals kind of where the negotiations uh, will start uh, for this for this budget as well. I still can't believe you guys have a seven billion dollar surplus in Wisconsin. Are they accruing interest on that? I mean, are they planning on like just letting it roll and fixing everything all at once? Is that the plan? Well, I think there's a there's a number of different things you know that are being discussed. The governor has the governor has a number of different proposals on how to spend the surplus. Uh, Republicans are trying to mostly give it away as a as a tax cut uh, in their plans. They are pushing for a flat tax, uh, which in Wisconsin would mean a massive tax cut for the wealthiest Wisconsinites. They want to bring everybody's tax rate down to about three point two percent. Uh, and for those that those top earners in Wisconsin, people making over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, they're taxed on like a seven percent level uh, for the state income tax. So it would, it would be a huge, huge tax cut um, for that they are proposing. And, and Tony Evers has said that that's a non-starter. Uh, so I think it's pretty interesting. You know, you have the Republicans out there saying things like uh, that they that they want this flat tax. Uh, some have even gone as far as to say that they should eliminate the state income tax entirely. Uh, and Tony Evers is, is holding pretty firm that they don't want to be doing that. So he's he's included a number, a middle class tax cut in his plan that would reduce, uh, you know, for, for most filers in Wisconsin, reduce it by at least 10 percent uh, and a number of targeted tax credits for, for seniors, for for uh, uh, for caregivers, for for parents. Uh, so more of a uh, more of a working class tax cuts uh, tax reform that Tony Evers is proposing. But how much of that will be taken up ultimately by the Republican controlled legislature remains to be seen. Probably not a whole lot of it, uh, right. but at least will be a negotiating point um, for, for uh, Democrats in the legislature as, as they go through these uh, cycles as well. It's a lot. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, how the budget, go- how the budget address goes. And then your election is on Tuesday coming up. 
on the 21st? Election is on Tuesday. Yep, it's, it's, it's an important one. It's a big one. We need to get everybody out to the polls uh, to uh, to be voting for the candidates here. And, uh, you know, there's a number of other races up and down the ballot. We've got three common council members here in Milwaukee. There's a municipal judge in Milwaukee. There's a state senate race right outside, right in the suburbs here. That's going to be a really, really important one. I'm writing about that that race right now. So uh, lots, to, lots to pay attention to for your uh, goofy neighbors to the north here. <laughs> well, for all of my uh, lovely neighbors that are registered to vote in Wisconsin, please make sure you get out and vote. This is important. I know, it's, you know people are like, well, I'll just wait for the general. No, get out there. Get this done. Uh, be heard. Be heard on the next one, too. Uh, and we are always grateful for your time. Dan, where's the best place for us to find your work? Uh, you can find me uh Recombobulation Area on Substack, and you can also find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. Thank you so much. Have a great a great rest of your day and a lovely week, and uh, I guess we'll be talking to you with the results next Wednesday. Results next Wednesday. Let's uh, do it. I don't know. It's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited and nervous for you guys. So yeah. <laughs> I'll be crossing, <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers and praying and all those things. Have a great night, Dan. Thank you so much. Take care. Let's take a break here. Got uh, Carmen Navarro Cohen in the studio with me. We're going to have our guests on in a moment to talk about a camp that you want to know more about. Uh, we're going to talk about Camp One Step, a nonprofit based here in Chicago that provides free year round camp experiences for kids with cancer and their families. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. Hey, where's Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. It'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Joining me in studio is my friend Carmen Navarger Cohn. She's going to co-host with me for the rest of the show, and I want to uh, bring on our guest. I did not realize that it was International Childhood Cancer Day until some friends reached out and told me about uh, an important camp that we should all know about and some some stats, some information. Uh, we want to talk about Camp One Step, a nonprofit base here in Chicago that provides free year-round camp experiences for kids with cancer and their families. Joining us on the line, we have Jeff Infusino, the president of Camp One One Step, and Colleen McGrath, a survivor a former camper and current Camp One Step staff member. Uh, Colleen, let me, let me, first of all, let me thank both of you for joining us. Hi, Jeff and Colleen. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for Patty. having us. Absolutely. Uh, Colleen, I'm going to start with you. Uh, first, tell us a little bit about your story, whatever you're comfortable sharing, because I know sometimes this can be a, a little overwhelming, and, I, and I'm so grateful for the, the grace that you're sharing with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us today. Uh, so when I was uh, 14, I was diagnosed with um, a rare form of pancreatic cancer. 
Uh, and my only other experience with cancer at that point in my life had been my mom passing away of cancer eight months before my diagnosis. Mm. So um, it was a really scary, really dark time. And as many, many, many people know, you know, the treatments and the surgeries for cancer are, are just as scary as the diagnosis. Um, so it was a really tough time till Camp One Step came into my life. And how how did you uh, find Camp One Step? Was this something that, that uh, a provider, you know, do you remember, like gave you a pamphlet and said, hey, you know, here's a resource for your family? Yeah, absolutely. I actually remember it vividly. Um, when I was about halfway through treatment, I was really sick, really miserable, and was spending more days in the hospital than I was at home. And I actually asked my nurse and doctor uh, to let myself pass away. Um, I was just done with it and wanted to spend some good time with my dad and my siblings and family. And um, they were both actually volunteers on our medical team at Camp One Step. So they kind of made this deal with us. And and they said, you know, they'd have those tough conversations with me if I just had to try one thing. I had to try going to this camp for kids with cancer. Um, And I did. And, you know, it saved my life. Wow. When you hear stories like that, Jeff, uh, we're talking to Jeff Infusino, the president. Am I saying your last name correctly, first of all, Jeff? You are. You're doing a great job. It's totally great. <laughs> Appreciate yep. that. Uh, so <laughs> when, when you hear stories like that, and I'm sure you've heard many and, and you work with Colleen, uh, it, it must be something that brings you a, a lot of gratitude for the, the work that you get to do, I imagine. Is that right? You, know, you, you, you said it perfectly because I feel grateful every day to be able to um, be a part of this organization and, and to be leading it. Um, but we have so many different, you know, the great team on board. We have 400 volunteers that work with us. We have volunteer medical staff. But it's all about what Colleen's saying is that cancer, it just consumes families, right? Because it's not only the child is diagnosed, it's the family has to go through this and disconnection happens. And, you know, the whole thing about living becomes really questionable. And when we come to camp, it's really about you can live, you can dream, you can do things you never thought you can do. Don't let cancer define you. Don't let it tell you what you can't do. We're here to tell kids what they can do. And the story that Colleen told is very unique in its in its own, right? But there's so many stories about kids that have gone to camp thinking that this is they're the cancer, kid with cancer, right? And they come out of camp saying, wait, I'm an individual. I'm not defined by cancer. I'm not different. I'm me. And and that's the whole premise of what we do. And we were founded 45 years ago. We're going to celebrate our 45th summer camp um, this summer in July. Uh, but we've evolved. We have 11 different programs serving cancer patients, as well as siblings, as well as families. And because it's such an important piece for everybody to get whole again, because cancer tries to take that away. What an incredible uh, story, both of you, and, and the mission that you're on. And the idea that the, there is also support for siblings, I think, is because, you know, there's a, you know, in many ways, they're part of the treatment, too, and the and the care and part of the healing process. So that I think it's brilliant that you're able to, to bring siblings along, too. Uh, Colleen, when, uh, as Jeff was saying that, uh, you know, that it's not the cancer that defines you. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to be at camp with kids. And, and because you're not telling everyone or people are everyone's not feeling sorry for you. Was, was there a little bit of being able to get away from that of uh, it just being cancer all the time and just everyone being on the same level? Level playing field? Yeah, I think when you're um, a kid diagnosed with cancer, you're that family 
unfortunately, you're you're wearing that label with that diagnosis, right? All of a sudden, in your school or in your community, you become the pediatric cancer family or the bald kid with cancer. And all of a sudden, you go to camp, and it's like, wow, all of these people have been through the same thing I have been through. Um, and you can kind of put that aside and just be a kid, right? Like, play sports campfires, you know, go camping. We're actually going skiing in Park City, Utah this Saturday. Um, We have an, you know, adaptive program that goes out there so kids can learn to ski and snowboard. Um, And, you know, Jeff touched on this. The the really tough thing about cancer um, that impacts the whole family is, is the financial burden it is, right? And so everything we offer is free of charge. Um, So I think that's also... Uh, you know, really, really special to note that I, I had the opportunity as a kid to do all of these things, but my dad never had to think about how we were going to pay for them, right? You just get, got to go to sleepaway camp and just be with a community of people who understood you. You didn't have to, you know, worry about how you were going to make it happen. Jeff, how do, uh, I know that, it, I mean, how do folks uh, get more information too? Because I'm sure, I know that you have enrollment going, including a weekend coming up. I want to make sure, I know people right now probably have questions like, how do I get more information? Yeah, or- or even what age, like yes. children. I know Colleen mentioned she was 14. Is there an age? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. We have, so to get a hold of us, they would go to camponestep.org. That's just spelled out with the word C-A-M-P-O-N-E-S-T-E-P.org. Um, from the age perspective, we go from 5 to 19. Wow. Uh, the one family pro- from family programs, it's, it's newborn all the way up. And we even even in the family programs, you can bring um, a relative with you. So because we know that the, the, the cancer uh, treatment process is expansive. So, um, you know, the big thing is that not only do we have the in-person programs that we've been talking about or camps, we have a uh, we call connected, which is a full slate of digital programming where we bring camp to kids and families. So we have, uh, you know, people attend from different parts of the country, Arizona, California, Seattle. We've had kids attend from Ecuador and London, or even what we've learned during this process is kids do relapse, right? And they, they may be in the hospital where they can't get to camp. Now we bring camp to them. Wow. I, I had one question about, um, is there ever an opportunity like, I, I hear everything Colleen got out of this program, and and the one thing I'm hearing her say basically is you go to camp and you kind of get all the bull crap out the way. You don't have to discuss what you have, what the diagnosis is, like <laughs> yes. you are in your neighborhood, because you have to explain what kind of cancer you have, how long you've had it, what your treatments are. But it sounds like you go to camp and all that is out of the way. Everyone's story is kind of similar. Let's get on with being kids. Is... um there an opportunity, like I, I see how Colleen, you stayed involved with uh, Camp One Step. Um, so is there an opportunity for someone who attended when they were 10, 11, this camp to like stay involved? Like regular camps have kind of like camp counselors I'm envisioning. So is there a way for them to stay involved? Absolutely. Yeah, Patty, that's a great, great point and great question. One in five of all of our volunteers at our, at our camps our former campers. Wow. Um, so yes, they can stay involved. So if, when anybody goes to, to our website, they can look at how to, how to volunteer, um, you know, how to register for camp, what camps we have coming up as well as, you know, uh, you know, donating or sponsoring or these type of things. So yeah, we're, we're very proud of the fact that our, our camp community continues to stay engaged even when they, you know, age out because, 
you know, they, they want to come back and, and give back through volunteering. And I have to imagine, Colleen, uh, you know, once you aged out and started college and volunteering and then again found yourself uh, diagnosed with cancer, how much of an impact that had on your recovery, already having that that, that community, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, and Jeff can speak to this, too. Um, I actually was diagnosed uh, with colon cancer three months after they hired me, which I'm very grateful. It's now been more than 10 years ago, and That's great. I'm uh, very healthy. Um, but there there was something about knowing, like, I have an incredible family, but I also had this, like, camp family as well that were going to, uh, you know, kind of take me and, and understand what I'm going through. But the, the thing for me about camp was it always gave me a break from how heavy cancer was, right? It was this opportunity to just kind of, like, laugh, giggle, make another kid smile. It was an opportunity to really have a break from how heavy the hospital feels and how scary it feels. It was all of a sudden, um, you know, they put that joy and that fun back into your life that you're, that you're missing when you're really sick. I would also imagine it's yeah, kind of like oh. when you're um, going through something and you think you're going through the worst and then you're sitting and you're speaking, talking to somebody else and it, it, it allows you to feel for somebody else instead of feeling for yourself in that moment. I think that sounds like it would kind of be healing too. Oh, absolutely. That is so well said. Um, that perspective is, is amazing to have and to be able to kind of lift each other up. I know we say that, you know, talking about cancer isn't the, the most prominent part of your camp experience, but you definitely see those little campfire conversations among oh. campers and, and kind of meeting their peers and as they feel comfortable letting people in a little bit and, and realizing they have the same scars or have gone through the same thing and, and how um, uniting that is and motivating. What were you say, Jeff? Yeah. I was going to say that just, I want to tag on to, to Colleen's story a little bit when she had her second diagnosis is one of the things, even at 27, mm-hmm. as she was just going through her treatment, one of her healing process was that she wanted to get back to camp. And so even going through and treatment and, and all that, her still part of her healing process as an adult was to get back to camp in her in her social media um, you know, role. And, and that was still a healing process. But you know, one of the things, just a couple uh, just a couple of quick little stories is that, you know, there is there is a, a camper that she wore a, wore a wig because she lost her hair um, and everywhere she went as a kid and, and she was nine. And, and she wore this wig everywhere and didn't take it off. And her mom says, I wish I'd get her to take it off. And she was, and when I was at camp one day and she walks up, this is her first time at camp. She walks up on the pier and we're going, everybody has to take a swim test, see where they can go in the lake. Right. Sure. And she, she takes off her wig, hands it to the, heads it to the, to the counselor, jumps in the water Aww. and never wears it the rest of the time at camp. Because that's the comfort, right? right? That's the point of saying, I'm not different anymore, and I can be myself. And that's what Colleen experienced, and that's what so many of our campers and, and, and families experience by going to camp. And how long are the sessions? You mentioned that there are 11 programs. How long are the sessions that, that, that kids and families can enroll in? They range. So we have some programs, some camp programs that are um, a week long, are are founding program, which is our summer camp, that's two weeks. Our family camps usually run about three days, our day camps three days. So it, it varies from the shortest being three days to the longest being two weeks. 
do are there kids that like don't want to come home because <laughs> i went to girl scout camp and i was telling our friends from uh, camp kupagani that uh getting on that bus and going home was like the worst i i bet i my mom re-enrolled me for the like i had to take a week off and i went home back for the rest of the summer <laughs> do you have opportunities like that for kids that don't want to leave uh, absolutely <laughs> I can't, well i can't tell you how many times the kids go for one week and it's like their first time going to camp yeah and they say they call their try to call their parents up between the, the you know like four days the two days left of the first week and go they want to stay for two weeks and if we have room we we arrange to stay but that happens a lot which is as, as Colleen will know will know what she what she didn't say is she was fighting her parents and the doctors about going and I'm not going I'm not going by the third day she said this is home right Aww. and we hear that so many yeah. different times and you know because it's. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough battle. Yeah. And, um, you know, our, our job is to empower kids to, to feel the best they possibly can. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to see it and, and to, to, to see the laughter and joy. And, and just when you're talking about those side conversations about whether it's around the campfire or at, at a dinner or, or a lunch and, We've had kids to say, you know, I'm taking this medicine. It's making me sick. And somebody will say, wait, don't do it that way. Do it this way or take this before you take it. And it's those conversations that will happen. And, you know, and it's that ability to say, you know what? Yeah, I got this. And and that's what, what, what kids leave with. That's wonderful. Colleen, was this, was this the first away camp you'd ever gone to? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, sleepaway <laughs> camp was not something in my family. So Jeff is not kidding you. Uh, when we, when my dad and I were approached to go to this camp, I was like, no, hard no, absolutely not. I'm sick. My dad needs to take care of me. I'm in, how, how am I going? This doesn't even make sense. And then I remember like just looking at my nurse and being like, what am I even going to do there? Bedazzle a puke bucket? Like this doesn't work for me. Mm. And, um, it was just like the second I got there, pure magic and nothing like a hospital and everything was about having fun, but you did have nurses and doctors intermixed with you to be able to do the same things mom and dad do, right? That kid goes to camp and still needs their medications and still needs their treatments and they execute all that. They just do it while you're having fun. Uh, and Jeff is spot on. Uh, I was so mad at my dad for making me go to camp. I was like, you're horrible. I was a teenager and I had cancer. So, like, I was so mad at him the entire way there. He picked me up. And, like, I will never forget, like, the first thing he thought is he's like, holy cow, I have my little girl back. Aww. Because I was the girl he remembered before my mom died and his wife died and before I was sick. And and then, you know, the first words out of this teenager's mouth was like, I'm mad at you for not sending me for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> can't win either way. You can't no, win. He couldn't win either way. Yeah. But um, yeah. we have these notes from him. And it was like that day was the day he knew we were going to be okay and we were going to get through this. And, and it was, you know, the thing I tell people the most about camp is like it is a treatment, right? It's It's not a medicine, but camp gives you this will, this energy, this hope, this happiness that you can do the really hard things and your work, your life is worth living for. Right. And yeah. so you need that to do the really hard parts of treatment. And so it, it's part of this really perfect medicine for a really sick kid to be like, Oh my gosh, this is part of the treatment I need to get through cancer. Jeff, are there ways that uh, folks can support the work that you do and, or volunteer or, uh, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what, what, what do you uh, need to support your mission? 
all, all of what you said, Patty. I mean, <laughs> when they go to their website, there's going to be ways that they can, you know, people can look at it if they want to volunteer. Um, there's ways to volunteer either at, at uh, you know, some of our camps or our digital programs, events, um, donate through the donate button that we have on the website. Um, but most importantly is to, there's families out there that need to get to camp. There's a you know, way you can just click on it and go, but obviously with all of our, pro- our programs and camps being free, donations are always welcome. Um, but if you go on onto our website, you'll see some videos. You'll see from kids that are, have gone to camp and what it means, and from families and what they've talked about. And and we, we're talking to cancer and diagnosis in a singular mode here. We actually have families that have multiple children from their family that have been diagnosed mm. with cancer that are at camp. And so, that's what I was going to um, ask. Help. Hmm? Sorry, yeah. Jeff. Go on. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was going to ask, um, hearing Colleen talk about losing her mother just months before her own diagnosis and then hearing that one of your programs is a family program, um, I, I would imagine that it could have turned out to be a very different relationship for Colleen and her father had they not had this camp. Because I would imagine as a father and a husband having lost my wife, and now dealing with the sadness and the frustration that now my daughter is going to go through this too, he may not have had the coping mechanisms to help her through this by himself. And so it's almost like I don't, it's like you saved a relationship and not just Colleen, but her father and hearing, like you just said, that there's families who have multiple children. So um you are treating more than just mm-hmm. the cancer. You're treating um, everything that comes along with it. And I just want to tell you how overwhelmed I am with hearing about all the great work um, that you're doing. This is incredible. Well, thank you so much, Betty. We really appreciate it. One thing I also want to compliment Colleen on, and not only being her journey, her survival, her amazing fight, and, and being a, a wonderful and 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 superb person on our on our team. Um, she also is the um, the host of our podcast that we launched this oh, hey. uh, this year. So we have a podcast that um, for all the things we're talking about is we kind of, we call it no one understands because when you get that call or you get that diagnosis immediately you're expected to understand and there's so much to do. And we put this podcast together that Colleen does a fabulous job of leading that to talk about families and. Our first episode about is about the, a family that had um, two children diagnosed within 11 months of each other. And uh, are we talking, and we have a, a medical personnel. So, you know, if anybody is out there and just not sure about what's going on with the cancer diagnosis, and we've had some adults listen to it and get some feedback from it. So that that's on our web, website as well to catch our podcast. Well, thank you both so much again. What an incredible conversation. And the website, one more time for our listeners who maybe didn't didn't, uh, get all the information, they're driving or want to try to memorize it. What's the, where do they go? Sure. Camponestep.org, C-A-M-P-O-N-E-S-T-E-P.org. Excellent. Thank you so much. Again, we've been talking to Colleen McGrath, who is a former camper at Camp One Step, and she's a current Camp One Step staff member and the president of Camp One Step, Jeff Infusino. Uh, I'm really so grateful for the work that you do and for this conversation, and I wish you both the very best. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Again, we'd love to have you back. 
Thank you so much. Penny, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, no, no, no. Thank you, you too. Thank you. <laughs> we'll uh, take a break here and uh, check in with our friend Carmen Navarro-Jacone and our friends from Beguile and Bottles and Cans. And thank you to our sponsors, Monaco Brewing, Kids Above All, and our friend Warren at European U.S. Car Service. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT With our friends from Beguile Brewery, we have Kevin Carey in studio. We have Carly from Bottles and Carly, right, from Bottles and Cans, and uh, we have our friend Carmen Nervarja Cone, a former candidate for Cook County Sheriff, now uh, works at the uh, Clerk of the Courts as the. I don't remember the title. This is a test for you. Uh, executive Clerk of Court executive Operations. Clerk. I mean, I mean, you to wear like a name tag that says Executive Clerk of the Clerk, clerk of the Courts. It's a lot. It's a lot of <laughs> bottles and cans and Beguile Brewery are much easier for me. There to we go. I'm just saying. Um, and we send our thanks to, uh, of course, uh, the, the Clerk of the Courts, uh, Iris Martinez. Correct. And uh, so you have a celebration. Congratulations. Happy 10 years of, of your collaboration with each other. Yes. With yeah. Be- Beguile. Yep. And let me make sure I have all the microphones on. And, uh, and, and with bottles and cans. Yeah. Excellent. I, we know Kevin a little bit, so let's get mm-hmm. to know Carly a little more, because I don't think I, I don't know if I ever had you guys on at WGN when I had, I we, we would so. have like Brewers Week on it, we'd have like all the yeah. breweries on, it was an, it was a lot of fun. So was say, a we time. all kind of blend in together, too, so it's like, it's, <laughs> I get, get mistaken. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Constantly. Your yeah. hair is nicer than mine. Well, we love talking <laughs> to the people that support, I mean, you're a local business, you support local businesses, and that's what, what's wonderful. Tell us yeah. a little bit about bottles and cans. Uh, so bottles and cans, uh, like what we're here to talk about. Uh, we opened 10 years ago, um, about a few weeks, almost a month or something, um, around the same time as Beguile did. Uh, at the time, there was maybe one or two like craft beer-focused um, shops. A, a couple of the liquor stores were doing it. Um, the Binnings were, were having like a smaller little uh, departments focused on it. And my husband and I just kind of thought to ourselves, what what's missing? Um, what started as kind of a let's look into it one day ended up with like a signed lease and, and me quitting my job and saying we should probably do this because okay. we need money. Um, <laughs> so we we started that way and then it just kind of started to blow up more and more um, as also the, the neighborhood we started in, like it wasn't just us. It was Half Acre. It was Beguile. It was Spiteful Brewing, Leatherby, Koval. Wow. All of these like craft centric alcohol companies all started like showing up and we're like not only did we pick like a pretty perfect location but now we get like these other people that share in this in this industry with us that you know we were kind of trying to navigate for the first time so yeah it was it was wonderful that's outstanding and so what you went from so you was that in the north center ravenswood area yeah yep yeah it's it is really such a great area and when you go through there and you're like oh my i mean old buildings that have been turned over which by the way your celebration if i could i was trying to figure out where that is i saw you guys doing a little video with like these great different (laughs) levels and like it looks looks like you were in a bird cage or something 
that, that video. That was um, an actual birdcage. It was an actual birdcage, and that video went viral. Oh, congratulations. Wow. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that, like, I now get why people are addicted totally. to TikTok the social media. and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, like, there's certain things, if you watch, like, there's certain categories. I was talking to a woman who has, like, a, she does uh, estate sales, and she's kind of a landing spot for a lot of different antiques and secondhand things. And she said, like, it's, there, it's all these teenagers, high school students who come in because they got addicted to it on Facebook. So, oh. like, old buildings and secondhand stuff and thrifters. And, yeah, if you, if you, if it's a, if you fit into a niche, and I believe that video did, because I was, I was like, where are they now? Yeah. I wanted to see the rest Maybe of this adventure. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a beautiful <laughs> space. And that's, yeah. you know, um, we're, Pretty excited to be able to throw an event there. We've participated in a few. Carly's hosted some other events there. Uh, but we're taking over the entire building for this party, which is super cool. Wow. Um, yeah. 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 Which uh, in the beginning, we're like, how are we going to fill this space? And now I think the concern is, like, we need more space. <laughs> like, we, have, we have a lot of fun ideas. Yep. Are, there, are there still tickets left? Yes. Okay. There, it's it's getting close. We're hoping We'll, I can check. We're going to sell check. out situation going on. Um, what, now, what day is this? Uh, this oh, is Saturday. Sold two more this tickets. Saturday. You just, just now? Sold? Yeah, just oh, now. Nailed oh. it. Look at that. All right. Thank you to whoever purchased those. All right. <laughs> let's, let's, I guess we're going to sell this out. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold, hold one for yeah. me somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how, where do folks go to, to grab those tickets that are remaining? So it's As our, I grab my pen, yeah, and yeah. I just write that down. Um, so it's our it's our Eventbrite program. Do you have that? Like, well, so you can. I, I know we have a link uh, at www.begalbrewing.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a link on our website. There's also if you go to Eventbrite and search "best friends turn 10. Okay. Aww. Yeah, I believe if you go to Google and type that in, yeah. it's not guaranteed to show up. It's a weird and, one, but yeah. yeah. And beguile is B-E-G-Y-L-E, correct? Correct. Yes. Beguile. Yes. It's the, beguile. Mid- yeah. it's the Middle English uh, spelling of beguile. <laughs> Look at Carmen is on. She's on the line. She's like, I, I want to go and to this place. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's happening? She's like, I better get a ticket. I'm looking. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's also on our social media, like Instagram. Yeah, any, yeah, any of our bios will, will have our the link, ticketing link on it. link is in yeah. the, the bio. Yeah, we have it on our website, too. We don't get as much traffic I found it. Do. There you go. Get them. Get those it's tickets. Got, uh, Isn't that a pretty photo? That is a photo. photo. Did you see that? That's very cool. Thank so you. that actually, uh, one of the cool things about that graphic design, uh, our graphic designer, Melanie, uh, who's been with us since the very beginning, uh, she and I know each other from uh, grade school in Michigan, but then we also got had the opportunity to hire somebody that we went to high school with in Michigan to do the other half of that uh, photo. He owns a media company here in Chicago where they do like video production and graphic design. So it's just like this part of this whole process has been like reengaging with people that we've worked with before who have like he got started in his he he went on his own to start his own business around the same time that we opened a brewery, and so some of our earliest. Uh, marketing things was him coming up with concepts to do videos about us. So if you go back in time, there's like a three-year period where you'll find some random videos of us, and then it just stops. Okay. Because we just stopped. We didn't, like, we kind of, like, he got busy, we got busy, and we forgot. And so this has been an opportunity for us to kind of reconnect, and he's helped us out with a lot of the uh, planning, and he does event planning and things like that. So it was, like, I see that imagery, and it's like, that's cool. It's like kind of a culmination of all the things that we've worked on. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of brands represented in that photo too. That like at first glance you don't see it, but there's like 30 different breweries in that photo. Well, and then these are all participating in mm-hmm. your 10 year anniversary coming yes. up this Saturday. Yeah. Oh. One of the yep. fun things about planning something like this, especially when it's like Kevin and I planning something together, because we have a lot of like the same likeness of what we envision things to be. But we also get to bring like the people that we've been with 
the last 10 years with us. Right. So again, like bringing in, in Melanie and, and everyone else, it's, it, and Tim, uh, it's fun to kind of do those things. Like we have, um, a wine distributor that's coming in, and the main reason we picked only one wine distributor was because the, our sales rep also happens to be like the godfather of one of our children, and mine and my husband, not mine and Kevin's. Um, <laughs> I feel like we have to keep maybe explaining that to people. Um, but like, like it's fun to be able to like do this and see like the collaboration over the last ten years of all yeah. of us coming together in like one party. So and how much you've it's all cool. grown. I mean, both together and then, you know, and then having other sort of avenues yeah. of growth and then and celebrating like this is really wonderful. Uh, and how many shops does Bottles and Cans have now? We have two now. Okay. I'm very proud of that. It took us a little longer than I think I had anticipated. Um, but we looked at um, second location for 100 million years. Um, I the first one it just happened. It right. was so quick. It was so simple. Like we knew where we wanted to be. We loved the space. We loved everything about it. This time around, I have seen every building the city of Chicago has to offer, and the majority of them are really difficult to think a liquor store can fit in. Um, but we were so fortunate to find like the Edgebrook community and like just how. Excited they were to have us. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that was a, uh, I mean, that was a dry was, that was a dry area for yeah. the longest time there. Yeah, <laughs> that was they, an they interesting were navigation. For a party. Of, yeah. yeah, they were. Yeah, it was a weird thing to navigate. I was not expecting to have because there were still some some oh, groups there sure. that weren't Is wild it? about us being there. We still hear from some of them. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, we just we approach it with as much candor yeah. as we can. Um, but yeah, we were like ecstatic to have Edgebrook as like the second location and just and we have a parking lot um, for those of you who don't know to have a parking lot changes do you, do you share that with the with the grocery store uh, no, no we share it with um, uh, El Ticade that's the oh, little the restaurant. Next, oh my yeah. god it's so much fun. They didn't have a neighbor for a really long time, so it took a minute. <laughs> it yeah. took a minute for them to be like, "What's all this?" Um, but now we do a lot of like fun collaborations and things like that with oh, them. Nice. And, and you know, they're uh, the gentleman who owns it. His grandchildren and my children now play in that parking lot. Yeah, see, I'm <laughs> so, telling that's you, awesome. yeah. the, the, just the energy. I think the reason you're doing so well, like just I, I shared. First of all, this tastes oh yeah, wonderful. Yeah, let's, yeah, that let's, was, let's, I, I, let okay. folks know what uh, Carmen is sipping there, Kevin. Oh, yeah. So this is a new beer that we released for um, dry January. Uh, it does have alcohol in it, but it's only 3%. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, last dry January, it turned out people drank pretty hard for 18 months of COVID. And then January last year came around. They were like, I'm going to stop. And it was like everyone stopped mm. last January. It was bad. Like, if you know anyone in the alcohol business, last January was like the worst part of COVID. Uh, just because people stopped. Oh, and I had no idea. Yeah, I totally support it. I get yeah. it. I needed to dry a out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this year we kind of came around the New Year's time and came up with a couple different beers that are under four um, percent. It is a emerging market in beer, um, low ABV and non-alcoholic mm-hmm. beer. But so this is our version. It's a we call it a pseudo lager. It's called Field Trip. It's a 3.8%, super nice, nice. Uh, easy drinking. So it's supposed to drink like a lager. Um, you can have a couple of them. One of the things that I've been doing, there's this and another beer that I didn't bring called Micropixel, which is also 3.8%, but you can have two of them, and then you can be fine. 
There you go. Because also since COVID, I've I have a two year old and I can't drink. You need to be fine. Yeah, I need to be fine. You need to sleep. I, okay. I've been yeah, hungover. I was going to say the babies don't care if you don't feel. No. Well. no yeah, okay, I'm, so parenting has changed. Yeah. My youngest is eighteen, and I used to need a lot of these to <laughs> yeah that's to do get through the so day. It's the opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah okay, true. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's but just I don't like beer yeah. too much, and I really am enjoying. Like this tastes really good. I'm not a big beer drinker. It's this smooth. is good. It's, it's so really smooth. smooth. Yeah. Let's pop something else up and see if she likes yeah. that too. Let's uh, take a break here and we'll see. We'll come back and see what Carmen Navarro Jacon is sampling. We're in studio with our friends that are celebrating 10 years of collaboration. Uh, I mean, how are you? 10 years of Beguile and Bottles and Cans and all the local breweries that you've grown with and distilleries. Uh, it's really remarkable, Carly. It really it's I I, I, I know. I love it. I, I'm not going to cry. I, 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 I love that you created this, this incredible adventure. So let's continue our conversation. The event is this Saturday night. Uh, Google Beguile or go to Beguile.com. Yep. Beguile, B-E-G-Y-L-E and you can find out about the event as well as all their great products. And the website for Bottles and Cans is... Is Bottles and Cans Chicago. Bottles and Cans Chicago.com and find out about their store and what they carry uh, including, I believe, one of the locations, maybe some uh, progressive brew or, or a little choice seltzer, just saying. Ooh, we should do like a remote broadcast from either one of your places. Or both. Oh, I would love all, all I need is an outlet. Done. Let's go do that. That would Done. be fun. <laughs> More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. We'll be back in a moment. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at ANS Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are... We're hanging out in the studio with Carly, the uh, co-proprietor, co-founder, co-mastermind behind B- Bottles and Cans. We, uh, What's your last name, Carly? I keep just saying. Uh, Katz. Carly Katz in the studio with us. And uh, Kevin Carey, the uh, mastermind behind Beguile. You have a co-founder as well? Uh, I started with uh, two other folks. Uh, I am the only one. The sole left. survivor? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you and your husband, Carly, started this, which which can be a dicey adventure. And uh, Carmen Navarro-Jacon joins us in the studio. Carmen, you can ask. You were asking about other neighborhoods and you were saying near the yeah. Roosevelt Road? Oh, it was. I'm trying to th- I cannot remember what that main road was. There's a really, really nice daycare that opened up right on that same corner, and you can see it from the highway. We should always have a liquor it. store right by there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's funny because, like, we can't, it's okay for, like, liquor stores to be around, like, private daycares. Right. But any public one, we have to be, like, a certain... Or like schools, we have to be like a certain amount. All the zoning, of yeah. all yeah. the zoning and stuff. So mm-hmm. that also makes it very difficult. You CD centers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Even though it's like we, the parents are really like our bread yeah. and butter. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We actually just started hosting. I don't. There's a birthing, uh, like like a post. It's like a post uh, birth uh, moms group that 
that meets in our neighborhood. And so we actually have a new market of like these new moms that come in. We get like twelve moms today. I was there like three o'clock in the afternoon. They're all hey drinking beers, getting to know each other, and it's great. So trying like, to feel normal again is what they're doing. Yeah. A, little bit. a market yeah, I didn't realize, and it's super. You know, as a new dad, it's super cool to see because yeah. you know to to watch these folks kind of because they're all it's like a support network sure. which you need. Like yeah. if you if you live in Chicago and your family's not here, you need somebody. So it's cool to be like. So it's kind of kind of a joke, almost like like to be able to do a daycare, but it's like, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, you need these it's community outlets, right. you know. It, it's cool. So it's, it's something that I didn't realize. So that's been going on for like six to twelve months, I guess, at Beagle. That's that, amazing. Amazing. Why didn't I have any of that? It was ten years ago. I mean, it was a it different was just, time. It was a different time. Yeah. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but as a mother of four, <laughs> I will say that if that first they say that like breastfeeding and hoppy beers are supposed to like help with the letdown. Like, yeah. Yep. Like, I, for whatever reason, that's what they say. Don't, no one go out and get, like, <laughs> hammered and say, like, this lady on the radio said that. There's a tipping point. There's, um, a, there's, a, there's a letdown and there's a right. pump and dump. Right. That's that's right. right. That's that's right. right. <laughs> yes. But yeah. having, I think having that for you guys is is awesome to, like, allow, like, women to come in and just, like, feel normal again. Like, just, I'm out. Cool. But it's, like, you know, breweries, tap rooms don't feel like a normal beer or bar situation. Right. So it's still a, just a nice. We have a very atmosphere. Li- it does feel like a library yeah. in our tap room. Oh, really? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it's cool. very bright. Oh, nice. Sometimes right. I just open the door and let my kids in and just leave. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> have fun, kids. Have fun. Bye. Have fun. You find someone you know. <laughs> and you have uh, you've opened another can for uh, for our for Carly for for Carmen. Uh, what uh, yep. which one are they having now? So now we're drinking our seasonally appropriate uh, Dicey Riley. Uh, Irish red ale. Uh, so this is a five percent Irish red ale. So it's sli- slightly malty, but not too too heavy. Um, really good malt flavors. Um, St. Patrick's Day is d- just around the corner, sure. so it's got a nice little Irish flag yes. uh, on the can. Uh, yeah, one of our top uh, seasonal releases. We kind of a few years ago started leaning into the seasonal releases. So we have like a Christmas ale, and that goes in. Then we go into Dicey Riley, and then coming up after this, we have a summer beer called Boat Shoes. Nice, which is uh, yacht rock themed. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the seasonals do pretty well for us, uh, and this is a big one. So you can find it all around uh, Trader, like Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, bottles and cans hey. at both Edgebrook location and. North, North Center. Outstanding. So. How wild has it been to watch the growth of this industry? I mean, it's one thing to grow your own business, and then that, but then to have business relationships with all these brewers, you know, maybe some that didn't thrive, but those that have really, I mean, like Beguile and, and many others that you work with, this has to be just a fascinating ride for you. It's been, it's, um, it's been pretty amazing. A, the support from the industry but also seeing like how hard these guys have worked to stay. Because um, you're right, 10 years ago, um, some of these guys didn't make it. And COVID didn't help any of that. And <sighs> some of these breweries had, you know, to put every last ounce in it. And, you know, like over the COVID period of time, I've, I've talked to a lot of these guys. And I've just, the struggle of it, because liquor stores were kind of in a different position. Yeah. But the, the... Breweries with their tap rooms, like people not being able to like come in and actually like sit and enjoy, 
there you're not competing with the hundreds of other breweries like you do when you walk into a liquor store. There you're there for them. So they're sure. losing one of those big components yeah. of, of their customer base. We couldn't do events anymore. We couldn't, and for our industry, especially just like the birthday party, like our events are something that also just kind of reminds people we're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's an important way of doing that outside of just like the social media and things like that. But the work that goes into just opening a brewery, I think, and I don't know if it was you, but someone told me that like the amount of money that you need to have ready to go before your first beer is is brewed is like it's alarming. And the fact that these guys have made these choices because they have <laughs> so much faith in in like. I can do this mentality behind it is like, I've never had that kind of confidence. So good for you guys. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I see it. It's crazy. But it's like, it's a part of, it's just who you are. So you're living your purpose. This is what you wanted to do. And it's another way of um, bringing who you are to your community. And I can see it just in the way you talk about it. (laughs) And just in the way you talk about community, it's more than just the lager. It's more than just, it's about, Letting people be their authentic selves and just sit down and enjoy each other for who they are and get crazy. You want to have 5%, have a 5%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, you actually, I just got goosebumps because you just hit our uh, our entire business is built on the idea that we are, we are a community-supported brewery. So I don't know if you looked at Wikipedia. We don't have a Wikipedia page, but <laughs> the fact that you brought that up that is, like, makes me like super happy because she's law enforcement. She can drill uh, down into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> she's got the whole business plan. Um, but no, uh, we uh, yeah, our whole goal was to open up in a community and become part of that community. And I live a block away from the brewery now, and uh, we've worked with all of our. Like actually, this event is going to become a, a, a way for us to help support our neighborhood food pantries. Um, so, oh, a portion, like we're we've got some volunteers coming out for that and uh, to help us out, and then we're going to in turn um, help them out. We do some other stuff with our food pantry, local food pantry as well. But so it is. Uh, it's just this whole dynamic of like we're a business in the neighborhood. Carly's done a ton of stuff to help the nonprofits in our neighborhood, to help the schools. You know, some of our biggest. Uh, donations have been to like the local elementary schools, and for, I guess we got to be more clear about I that. I know. I was just thinking that, yeah. and I was like, I'll let them go. <laughs> <laughs> to the parent-teacher associations sure. at yes. our local yeah, elementary schools. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and you know what? I knew what you meant, because yeah. we get those donations as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. That's We're so on, funny. Uh, not, not everyone understands that when we say that. And it's like, how do I change this? <laughs> I think people this. get There's so many parent groups. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, we might not be invited back to WGN TV, because uh, Carly said on TV that we made beer for her kids. Oh. Which is true. But, well, it's true. Then what did they say? They're so funny. But over the context there. was missing. Right, right. I kind of ended it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were questions we that I don't a, think I even answered. I was like, bye. We're totally invited back. I'm just kidding. But it was it was uh, pretty funny. We we made some we did some collaborations and named them after her kids. Oh, how cool! Here, let me tell you something. I was on years ago, and uh, we were playing some like trivia game or something. And uh, my friend Steve Cocker and I were on, and I went like this oh. to him, right? Because I won. We won the round or whatever. And the producer came up and go, "Did you?" just flip him off on television like and so it took, a, took me a while to get back because it was like a side thing and they yeah. couldn't tell <laughs> yeah. and I was like oh my god so yeah they're a little, they get a little tense but you'll be fine we did clarify wait. before the end of the segment that yeah. we don't make beer for kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it was it felt spotty. You <laughs> <laughs> make root beer. We make root beer. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, community is uh, really important to yeah. both of us, and um, you know I think it's 
it is cool to find, you know, I, I worked in corporate America before this and I didn't fit in. And now, like, I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur and, like, matter and, like, find an avenue where I can make change and be a good, like, citizen. And so this is, like, this is my way to do that. Yeah, it really is. It is a service. I'm not trying to be corny or anything, but it's, I don't like beer. So I know my husband's (laughs) like, wait, what is, what are you drinking now? Because he knows I don't drink beer. But, because I never liked the taste of it. And so it's like sitting here talking to you and knowing like the whole purpose and reason behind it. I don't know if that's what's making it taste better, right. but it tastes really our good. Brewer, so. Our brewers are really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that they're could also, also be really it. Good. That's really amazing. Good. I love it. Yeah. You this do have wonderful this Saturday is a 10-year celebration for the collaboration between Beguile Brewery and Bottles and Cans. Of search. Go to Beguile.com to, or BottlesandCansChicago.com to find out about the event. We're going to continue our conversation and see how liquored up we can get uh, Carmen of our <laughs> Honey, you better be here on time. She, she keeps uh, she keeps saying she doesn't like beer, and here we are, too deep. Let's get to <laughs> teasing you. She's just sipping some. We'll be right back after this. On, and I also want to talk about the police board elections because we were mentioning that. So as we sip, we're going to have Carmen explain some of that because most of us have no idea uh, what most people have no idea why, why or what or who all those things. More in a moment on, on the WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Minocqua Brewing. I can go to the Patty Vasquez Show page and find out where you. You can pick up one of the progressive brews in the Chicagoland area, including, I believe, one of the bottles and cans shops. And we also have, want to thank our friends at Kids Above All. We want to support their mission to help kids feel happy, healthy, and safe. And we also go to kidsaboveall.com or .org. I think it's both. They own both. Kidsaboveall.org and support their mission. And we want to thank Warren Price from European and U.S. Car Service. Overbite Air at 4080 North Broadway. Go to europeanus.com. More in a moment. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. fight with uh, Carmen, but we won't talk about why on here. She's uh, tried another uh, another beer from Beguile Brewery. Uh, this is a collaboration with Dark Matter Coffee. It is. is. Uh, so it's a beer that we've been making for, I think, 10 years. I'd have to check the notes. But, uh, <laughs> we are gonna, we're not testing you. Yeah. This is <laughs> uh, over, uh, we've worked with a couple different coffee companies over the years, and this year we switched to Dark Matter, uh, which is really fun. Some friends of ours that used to work at other breweries in Chicago now work at Dark Matter, and so we were able to get together with them and get and taste the coffees and figure out which like we picked the exact um, blend. So actually, this blend that we picked is very similar to a coffee that Dark Matter does, which is a fundraiser for My Block, My Hood, My City. Oh, great! Yeah, so I love that's that. pretty cool. Yeah, they've got a they do like a fundraising like extension on their coffees, and that's one that they have. So this is uh, adjacent to that, but. Uh, it was fun. We got to go down to their coffee roasting facility and drink a lot of coffee. I was so caffeinated that day. It was weird. 
Like, you, they, you're not supposed to drink and drive, but I, don't, I think there's a limit to caffeine and driving. Oh, it has to be. I will yeah. tell I don't know if I've told this story. Uh, I know I've told this story about calling the mayor in the middle of the night at about uh, uh, at, at 10 to 2 in the morning. <laughs> People thought that we were drunk because we used to have, we would have brewers on and distillers and all that. And, uh, but actually, it was a coffee night. We were all jacked on coffee at 2 in the morning. I mean, and in, like French press coffee and like all different types. So let me just tell you, yeah, we were like, yeah, let's call the mayor. That's not well, that's why when he said, uh, well, there's one with, uh, it's coffee. I said coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that. the woman who says she does not like beer, how are we doing your third glass of, of. Well, the coffee. Yes. Tastes pretty good. <laughs> I love that you so love that. It's coffee. There's coffee. I'm gonna after the show. That's the one I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit, and that one has a higher alcohol content. Nine percent. Uh, <laughs> but it's got caffeine, and, and so, it's got caffeine. So it's like having vodka with Red Bull. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> the uppers and downers. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, just, just a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, yeah honey, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. It was just one shot. It's fine. We are hanging out with our friends from Bottles and Cans. Uh, Carly Katz is in studio, and from Beguile, we have the mastermind, both masterminds behind their their empires. Kevin Carey is <laughs> on a T-shirt for us. <laughs> well, after I saw your like this walkthrough of the venue where you're doing your event on, I'm like, these two are having way too much fun with with what they've created, <laughs> and you should. <laughs> really you should so be celebrating. Which actually, we're supposed to record our next video yeah. from here. Yeah. So. Oh, gosh. Okay. It's not quite as... Yeah, you're not going to go viral here. You never know. We know. We we have no idea. That was the one that we thought was the least funny. I know. Like, there's been a few that were like, this is hilarious. We've been positive. We've been using But it's not. Yes, please shoot it here. I love that. I don't know. We should have brought confetti cannons. Oh, So we've been using these confetti cannons. I don't know if you guys know this, but the technology behind confetti cannons has come a long way. It's... Okay. And you can buy six of them on Amazon for 20 bucks. What? Yeah. Yeah. And they make a mess. But yeah, they yeah, they make a mess, and I there is like a literal explosion that happens. Yep. And you, so, you, I'm guessing you use like more like lighter paper because I, I imagine if you had like the mylar, like the shiny parts that people yeah. have, and you want yeah. you don't want that blowing up in yeah. somebody. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like tissue paper, but thicker tissue paper. Yeah, crip. Yeah, it yeah. it will end up in your HVAC system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds like a lesson I a bunch learned. of it in yeah. my. I, we blew some off in my car, so we can. I can get you some of that. Well, so if you bring there. the bird cage here and the confetti cannons, I can see that going viral here. That's Patty. good, yeah. And remind yeah. folks where, where the venue is. So it's in, it's like North Center, Ravenswood ish. Yeah. Uh, so it's like uh, Ravenswood and Montrose. I believe okay. the address is. Forty-five twenty-three. Forty-three twenty-five. I feel oh. like I was in an event was, there years ago, yeah. like for the green, the green ball or something like that. Oh, it's that always, could be. I think that I, it was crazy. Like there's it's, all these different levels, and like there's a dance floor, yeah. and that's a big one, right? That was that's a, like what is that? Uh, I think it's for HIV. So I believe. I, I, yes. There was. I think I drove past it one time, and that they've now there used to be all these knickknacks and things that you could mm-hmm. buy. Yeah. It was an actual. Um, collector's warehouse. Yes. And he would rent it out and let you have a party and then people would maybe buy a $5,000 stone table yeah. when they were drunk. Right, right. $80,000 marble lion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the new company that owns it is a group in Chicago and they've kind of made it more into a place where you don't feel like you're going to break something. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, but it's such a beautiful place. Like we throw a couple outdoor street festivals uh, over uh, throughout the year outside the brewery. Uh, and this actually, I started thinking about. I was like, it feels like you're outside when you're mm-hmm. in this space, like because it's the ex- it looks like the exterior of a brick building, and then they have this big glass ceiling. Yeah, and so it feels like you're outside, but it, you're in an old, yeah. like a hundred hundred year old Chicago building. So 
It's um, cool to see. I'm a huge. Pre- I love preservation. So so do I. I. I have every time I hear about like a building that's going to be torn down that looks great. I mean, I, I'm not a developer. I don't know anything about you know gutting a building and bringing it back to life. I, I dream of having enough money to hire someone else to, to do, do that. it. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I just I love like you know I I dream like I used to want to buy a church and then you think about you know having to heat the high ceilings. Oh, I've, yeah. I've let go of that dream. But as a venue, it would be fun. Hey, you never know. It it's fifty degrees in Chicago. So. <laughs> yeah. Might not need that much heat anymore. Yeah, let's not let's not talk about that. Right. I know this 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 cloud. We'll punt that one. Well, it's gonna it's gonna snow again, by the way, and I've got to get my chili ready. I uh, think tonight. I think, I think it's supposed to start I think it's snowing. coming. I might ask yeah. you to put your headphones on because uh, a listener wants to call and talk about oh. brewing. Do you have headphones on your side? No. Oh, let me send you some. I'm going to send right. you a pair of headphones. Bringing them over. Well, you know what? Jim, if you'll hang out in a second, I, I will give her headphones. I'm going to give Carly headphones during the break. So before we get to Jim's call, uh, we were also, so as you sip the uh, Dark Matter uh, brew, I, I wanted wanted Carmen Navarja Cohn, uh, who now is executive, no, executive. Uh, clerk. No, clerk. Executive <laughs> clerk at the Clerk of the Courts, uh, former Cook County Sheriff, former candidate for Cook County Sheriff uh, and the police boards that people are going to vote on. It's going to be on their ballot. Both Carly and Kevin live in the city of Chicago, so you're going to have this on your ballot. You'll have up to three people to choose from. You haven't heard much about this race at all, have you? No. Uh, We do know someone that's running. Oh, do you? We do. Who do you have? Is it someone you want to promote or no? Uh, Sure. Sure? Uh, Adam Vavrick. No, Adam didn't make it on the ballot. No, I he lives here. I should pay attention. Yeah, he, he, uh, he, he, I think that, because we were all trying to find a progressive in the neighborhood. Believe yeah. me, we were trying to find a progressive in the neighborhood. And I, I was trying to collect signatures for him as well. But because the districts are so big, I mean, it was a massive amount of, it was more signatures than I think uh, an alderman had to get. Well, this is my oh. aggravation. And yes. what, what, what I found out the first time I tried to run is what people don't realize is when people walk up to you asking you for signatures, you wonder why you end up with the choices you have. Yes. And it's because everyone waits to see who actually makes it. Right. Well, you could have helped them make it that far had right. you just given them a signature. Because oh, wow. if you don't have the signatures for the... So it's like yeah. that is the first step. Yeah. And, of course, they don't get that message out there as much because... Um, they're happy with the amount of people that turn out because then things stay cynicism. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The people in power were so he didn't get enough signatures. I, uh. I, and it was late. He jumped in, yeah. and I think that we were all trying to convince him. There were a couple folks that I was trying to convince because I was a little concerned about the quality of the candidates. And I, we've been very public about yes. uh, about one of them. We both shared it on Facebook. I don't yes. think that, I don't think that Dave Feller it has integrity. Uh, when I went door knocking ahead of the ice raids that Trump was threatening and letting know letting people know about their rights in the event that law enforcement shows up. Uh, you know, like what, ha- like how you should respond, right. what to do. Uh, he said, you know, you're just making my job harder as a Cook County Sheriff. And yeah. I was like, I-, I don't think that telling people their rights uh, should be excluded from you. You do your job then. Do your job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's one I've been uh, vocal on. Um, yeah. I, I have several issues when we get into it further about um, <laughs> yeah. this this board and this new. Yeah. So what what is the role of the board? Do you, what, what's your understanding of what the, the police board members will be doing? So, well, what they're supposed to be doing, the whole idea <laughs> behind it, um, I, I got on board with pretty quickly at the beginning. You know, I was a little cynical at the beginning. I want to high five oh. you because this tastes fabulous. Oh. <laughs> what happened there? I, I've never heard that before. Hold on a second. What was that? Let me see who's that. Was. I drained batteries. You drain, you drain batteries? Is that what you said? I do. Why did that screech? Oh, wow. I've never heard that on the it air. Was the <laughs> it was the beer. It said, let me so out. The, yeah, it was a high five. This is what you guys are hearing? Yeah. You can hear it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds the way show. different. Are you hearing the show? I feel like I'm underwater. <laughs> 
A few so, more of these and you might be. There you go. So we'll be under the desk. So the police boards. So um, I got behind when when there was first talk about these forming. These, I'm like, I can see the idea behind it. It's the idea of community policing, mm-hmm. but on the terms of the community, which I can get on board with. Sure. Like, got it. Instead of the police making the rules about what community policing should be and what that okay. looks like, let the community decide what policing looks like for their neighborhoods. I got on board right away. This quickly has not been that. If if you're, they're supposed to meet and have regular meetings with the people that live in that district and ask them what they're looking for, what their concerns are as far as public safety and policing in that neighborhood. They meet and then their job is to deliver that community's message on to this other group. Gotcha. To look over. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And this other group eventually is going to be able to have a say in superintendents and all these other things, right? But (sighs) what we're looking at instead is um, people showing up to run for these district council seats with endorsements. Uh, So are are you representing the community? No, no, no. Yes. Thank you for calling. Whose interests are you supporting? Yep. You're running for, so in a city, in a county, in yeah. a state where people are already cynical yeah. about our elections not being transparent, we're yet having more elections. That is so funny that you say that because I was, I, I, I was like, because when you get these flyers, right, do you guys ever look at who endorses like on those mailers that you get? Does it carry some weight for you? Like, let's say Durbin or Quigley or someone that you like, Governor Pritz, whoever it is that you like. Yeah, even does, locally, like my, you know, our alderman, like when he made his mind up. You know, that has, I think it does have some weight. It's just a matter of whether or not, like, it's communicated. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and ask everybody to uh, to um, do a little look beyond the endorsements, because what I learned having run is that many of those are rubber stamped for incumbents, because they just want to keep someone happy that's already in the seat, and they want them to continue to vote their way mm-hmm. uh, without, because sometimes those uh, endorsements, they never even bother to talk to the other candidates or find out why they're running. And uh, so I, I and so that was what bothered me about Dave Feller's mailer is like why so he's getting all these endorsements and the fact now that you mention it I wonder if that's really going to be helpful for him to have Senator Martwick and Lindsay Lapointe <laughs> I don't know but, but, but in this neighborhood no but again my 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 whole um, thought behind it because I live in the 16th district where mm-hmm. where um, where he's running and there's several candidates like I like Dylan. Um, but because I, I believe that she's going to listen to my point of view and somebody else's point of view and bring it all together and bring everyone's concerns to the forefront, right? Right. But then you have all they're showing up with these endorsements. So it's like, how are you going to? There's seven people in my house. I can't get all five of my children to agree with me. <laughs> right. So I'm going to listen to one of them and only bring one child's right. concerns. Yeah. Or am I going to bring all of their concerns so I can address it? Do they answer to the electeds or do they answer to the community? And right. if you have endorsements, that, so that's often what that means. Those are, are like, I'm doing this person a favor so that later on they do me a favor. Yeah. That's what I learned running. It was it was like one person, uh, one high, highly elected official in the state of Illinois endorsed the uh, incumbent. And I called him on it later because there were so many nasty things that happened. I was like, oh, so you endorse weaponizing the trauma of survivors of violence. He's like, what? He didn't know about it. He didn't even know he had endorsed the incumbent, someone in his office just rubber stamped it. So just to give you an idea, and that was one of our executives in the state of Illinois. He was like, what? I, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. And the other issue is that the, these boards are supposed to be like another oversight for the Chicago Police Department. Right. So when you look at it, everyone, everyone agrees, even 
Like, we know this is, no, we didn't break up. We just have different views right. on certain yeah. things. But um, it, it's, you, even if you have different opinions, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing at the end, right? We want our kids to be able to walk out and be safe and have fun. And so, but when you talk about oversight, I think we all agree that the police department needs oversight. But you already have COPA, you have the superintendent, you have internal affairs, and now you have a district board. So how much money are we going to spend on oversight when you're talking about spending money and where else that money should go? There should have been, you know, um, with all these endorsements, there's a lot of money going into these district seats. And it makes you think this is yet another election. And to me, it appears that now it just looks like we've taken a whole other fight to a different platform, and yeah. it's not going to serve what it should have. Because think about this. So the it pays $500 a month. So it's not a big paying job, right? $6,000 a month. I mean, $6,000 a year, right? That mailer that he sent out alone was probably $15,000, which so, means so somebody wants power. So And what's behind that seat? And yeah. then that goes to an opening of now the next... Um, elected, it's going to be an elected school board. So now what is that? Yeah. Oh, that was already always part of the argument. Do, yeah. Right. So n- come on, this is not uh, at least put on these smaller boards, then put a cap on how much you're to put 200, 250,000 into a campaign mm-hmm. for a job that's going to pay $6,000 a year. Something's what is the ulterior on. motive? That's crazy. Right. That crazy. On either side. Yeah. What is the motive on either side? Exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. That's that's one of the risks with the elected school yeah. board is that then you have these folks that go into, you know, ban books and go yeah. into elected school board, you know, into the meetings. And if they have a lot of money, if you got the Koch brothers or Uline or something like that, you just don't know. Uh, let's go back to brewing for a second because Jim has been patiently on hold. He wants to talk about brewing. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? <laughs> You've got me. I think of exotic booze, you know, exotic booze. I had a friend who was in Alcatraz, and he was the main brewer there. And he told me that he take he take he take the peelings, you know, of the fruit and stuff like that. Anyway, the stuff was so good that I think he got an early out because of it. Hey, Jim, <laughs> that that's called hooch. I was say, At the county jail, we call it hooch. Toilet wine. <laughs> yeah, but he he was he was a master brewer. At it. And the other thing is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of. Uh, Poutine. I had an Irish priest. He'd bring a jar of poutine back from Ireland with him. Okay. That's oh, stuff, yeah. That stuff would turn your hair white. I mean, you took a couple of shots of that, your hair would go white. Irish, Irish moonshine. Irish <laughs> moonshine. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, they distilled that through graveyards, a thousand year old graveyards. <laughs> they call that, I, mean, I think it's called like white lightning or something like oh, that. Oh, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Yep. There it is. And if you guys. It, and if you guys uh, in Chicago, there was a drink that used to fix me up in the morning called Malort. Oh yeah, we know Malort well. Yeah. And, and when I was when I was really hungover and I was desperate to get straight, you know, I take a couple of shots. Couple of shots of that. It's got a little branch in it. It's really weird stuff. It's funny because uh, so Jim, Jim, I don't think you realize this. In the last, I would say eight or nine years, Malort has taken off in Chicago because I did not. Yep. Re- so he's talking like forty years ago, right? Jim was when yeah. it was your. Oh, yeah. Of the dog. Hey, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go big. Fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Hey, Jim, uh, come out to our party on uh, Saturday. We're going to have a Malort cocktail. Yeah. Oh. No yeah. joke. No joke. Not, yeah. not kidding. We're trying to mainstream some Malort for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You, that really, now you tempted me. Now you tempted me. <laughs> it's super good. Anyway, 
Anyway, great talking to you guys. You guys have a good night. Thank you. You too, Jim. Thanks. Thank you, Jim. By the way, uh, one of my favorite beers from uh, Lake Effect Brewing was when he did a, a Malort uh, brew. That was a mm-hmm. good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Were we, was that, were we getting punked? No, you know that no, guy? No, Jim no, calls I, all the time. I like Jim. I love Jim. I bet he calls all the time. I, I saw you glow. <laughs> just yeah. so you know, no. I saw you like... I, no, it's a real accent. He, that's, brought, up, he yeah. brought up Malort, and that's a big yeah. part of our yeah. party on Saturday. So oh, I was yeah. like, is this just like a softball? Like he's just setting but, us up yeah. to talk about it? Are you, are you guys uh, partnering with uh, Jepsons? So we have a couple. So so Jepsons as a whole is now part of CH Distilling, which is oh, that's right. here. Um, so we are kind of trying to collaborate because it's difficult for a lot of the distilleries to bring in all of their offerings. Um, Malort is kind of a fun part of our industry is always something that like, like behind the curtain of what we do compared to like the consumers is always like, there's always like a Malort situation involving like the brewers and all of sure. us. Um, so we wanted to bring that to the, uh, the forefront and then our friends over at aged and infused, I don't know if you guys have seen these. These are like so that you can take home your own like infusing kits and it, it comes with this cute little bottle and then like all the, um, the, the dried fruits and everything like that. And then they have suggested, um, uh, different like spirits and things like that that you can put in there and then you you leave it for they recommend how many days or, or whatever and they're making one for us that essentially is a Malort based but with the Jepsons bourbon as well oh. so it's a whole like little like <laughs> like bundle in one little glass and we had it recently recently it's so good it you so you, good. you don't you're not going to be like, this is a Malort cocktail. Right. Like, this is something like And you're going to have it Saturday? Mm-hmm. Honey, I bought two tickets. Yep. <laughs> That's a, you've got to go to beguile.com or bottlesandcanschicago.com and find out more. Let me see if we'll have a minute left after I do this break. Tom Hartman. The number of bankruptcies because somebody got sick in Australia, zero. In Austria, zero. In Belgium, zero. In Canada, zero. In Chile, zero. In Finland, zero. In Norway, zero. In Portugal, zero. In Poland, for God's sake, zero. In Slovenia, in the United Kingdom and Turkey and Switzerland, zero. In the United States, 500,000 to 600,000 bankruptcies a year. The Tom Hartman Radio Program, weekdays 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT. I only have a few seconds left. Oh, I just shut that off really fast because I want to say goodbye to our friends and thank Carmen Navarro-Jacone for filling us in a little bit about the police board. Thank you, Carmen. Do you have a, and follow her on Facebook. She goes to Facebook Live sometimes and shares really important stories. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, I became a very big Facebook Live fan. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And our friend uh, Carly Katz from BottlesAndCansChicago.com. And uh, thank you again. And we're excited about your celebration on Saturday. And uh, Ke- uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Carey from Beguile Brewery. Go to Beguile dot com to uh, find out about all their great brews. Uh, and I probably should just wrap up and say thank you. Thank you, everybody. Mm. Thank you. I Thanks appreciate it. I love to have you back. You know this I love having you guys on. Thank this you so awesome. much. Let's uh, have a great night, everybody. Sorry I can't get to you, Roosevelt. I've got to turn the station over. Thank you, Lady B. Mike Crutes up next with The Devil's Advocate.